0: I finally realized that it wasn't the, it wasn't the drug that was hard to get away from, it was the lifestyle.
1: Welcome to Fighting Monsters, where we're on a mission to change the way society views addiction and join the fight to end trafficking of drugs and women. I'm your host, Eric, and I'm not an addict. In fact, I'm just like many of you. But I'm passionate about reshaping the narrative surrounding addiction and its impact on individuals and our communities. But that's not all. We're also taking you on a journey to end the trafficking of drugs and women and empower survivors to reclaim their lives through We Fight Monsters. Join us in this dual mission as we explore stories, insights, and perspectives that challenge stereotypes and stigmas while working together to combat these pressing issues. Together, we can bridge the gap foster understanding, and make a difference, one conversation at a time. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody. Hey, I'm Eric, and today we have Josh Sneed with us. Josh is currently on drug court. Um, He doesn't like to keep up with exactly how long he's been sober for but uh it's uh somewhere in the range of seven to eight months it's definitely been a pleasure to become one of josh's friends uh through we fight monsters definitely enjoyed that so without further ado josh hey oh, what's up yeah. how you doing today josh uh, yeah, sitting on top of the world sitting on top of the world i love to hear it i love to hear it that's uh josh's number one line i think yeah yeah, uh, it's, yeah. it's just very true You know? let's get a let's get your story all right so I guess the main reason that I'm here is just because
0: I've never really known the right way to live. You know. I was always around drug addicts and alcohols or alcoholics, alcohols. <laughs> um, and never really learned how to live life in an appropriate manner. You know, I was always a very uh, bullheaded bull headed and hard headed type kid growing up. Never really listened to an authority figure. Matter of fact, if you tell me something, I usually did the exact opposite right then. Like, it was no waiting. Like, very punctual about, hey, this is my life. I'm gonna do what I want. Um, and, of course, that didn't end up very well at all for me. In several occasions, you know, pretty much the span of a 35-year life, so <laughs> you know. Um, so, I, I've been an addict my whole life. You know, since back, all right. so I used to be a pitcher when I was younger, Uh, I was 12 or 13, threw my arm out, ended up having to have surgery on it, I had ripped my ulnar nerve in my elbow completely in half, I had to have it repaired, and so with that, you know, with the surgery that entailed being put on drugs, like medicine for the pain and everything, and dude, it was a downhill spiral from that point on. Um, I never really felt like I fit in very many places. I was always the outcast kid, uh, yeah. showing up to school in hand-me-downs and this and that. And you know, I'm not, not saying that that was a bad thing, but it opened the door for people to be able to make fun of you and this and that. Our house had burnt a couple of times. So everything that we had was hand-me-downs from different people. So you would go to school with some other kid's backpack and his brother's shoes on and you know, it, it just... It made it to where people could make fun of you, so I never felt like I fit in. You know, right. uh, so when I found drugs, uh, it took that that embarrassment away. I was no longer embarrassed. Like I, I had arrived. You yeah. know, to be a person that I could be, or that I was just okay with. And society's outlook on that is it's it's a horrible standpoint to be in. You know, like it leads you down different roads of life that uh are very dark you know and you, you start running with the wrong people and the wrong crowds and before you know it you're doing the wrong stuff and it's just all normal you know you never think that breaking into cars or robbing dope boys and this and that just to eat is not the way that life goes because hell I didn't know any better it's, it's, that was my life you could tell me there was a different way because even that may be true, that was your way, it wasn't my way. Like, at the end of the day, you went home to wherever it is that you lived and sat at a kitchen table with your family and ate home cooked meals and this and that. And Well, I just didn't. You know, that that wasn't an option. You know, it was when I was younger, but, you know, families have problems and parents split up and divorce. and The whole family part of life just kind of dissipates. And then, what do you do when you're on your own? you're young you don't have any guidance you don't have anybody trying to steer you in the right direction because they can't you know i wasn't somebody that i wasn't very parentable (laughs) can we put it that way you know um school same thing i was the outcast in school i was a troublemaker i was i always seemed to be intelligent but i never used it you know what i'm saying like my uncle jim used to tell me i was the smartest dumbass in it
1: Yeah, I mean, you're definitely a smart guy. You know I mean? At least from what I've seen.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I have the potential to be very intelligent, you know, but in my eyes, it's whether you choose to use it or not. You know, I I always used it in the wrong way, and it never came across like I had much to offer, Right. you know. Now, in the criminal world, hey, dude, I could have taught criminology one-on-one, you know, like, I really could, I still can, you know, it's just who I am, or it's who I was, let's put it that way, because I don't want to live like that anymore, and I've been given a, a once in a lifetime opportunity to change that, so that's what I'm doing, which brings us here, you know, here in Memphis, I tried to, uh, so let, let me back up just a little, so I was in a marriage, uh, married to my wife for 10 years, uh, we have a son, and, We have a daughter, but she, things didn't work out there. She didn't make it. Um, Well, so my wife never really was on drugs, never was an alcoholic or anything like this and that, but I was, and I was very involved in gang activity, running around with just the wrong crowds, just a slew of just different people that I should have probably never had the opportunities to run around with because... I I didn't belong to any organization or any set or anything like this and that. I could run with the GDs, I could run with Aryan Nation, I could run with the Prips, and I did. Um, Usually all of them, every day, you know, just different crowds, because that was who I was. I was, by definition, a criminal in all aspects. Drug dealer, arms dealer, breaking in people's houses, armed robbery, like, you know, just an all-around bad guy. Uh, it led me down those those roads like I was talking about previous. But, you know, my son came up to me one time after I had gotten into a fight in the projects. Uh, these two guys, Grandma, called the law on me. I ended up going to jail. I was there for uh, 60, 70 days, not long. And when I got out, like, my wife had lost the house that we lived in lost our vehicle my son was at my dad's house i didn't know where she was nobody did you know so i ended up going to get my son and of course you know he's he's my son i'm not gonna leave him behind period you know yeah but uh started raising him and started trying to do better and it was the first time in my life that i had ever really just tried to start doing better because then i started seeing like Damn, he don't have anybody, and I'm not somebody he needs to have. You know, he's just kind of stuck with me. Well, that stuck with me, and I didn't want to be that person. Like, I didn't want to be somebody that my son, when he got asked at school or something, like, hey, who's your dad? He has to lie or come up with something to tell him. You know, I don't want that for him. Uh, So I started trying to change, and it was a long road to learn how to change and how to get where I'm at today. Uh, Very much trial and error. You know, yeah. because at the end of the day, I could always result back to who I was and the way that I used to live. Right? Right. And yeah. I could be okay with it. Yeah,
1: and that's probably easier. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, and it's not really that it's just easier. I mean, doing things the way that I'm doing them now is just as easy. It's just, I feel like it's more of what you want to put yourself towards or right? like yeah. right. what kind of energy you want to put yourself in. wow. You know yeah it's it's so okay maybe you're right eric i hate saying that um, <laughs> no i mean i could be wrong i not no no you, you're this not is, this so, is your story so like doing wrong is more acceptable by society and in terms of like what i mean is it's easier to be in the world than it is to be of the world does that make sense like i always used to look at it backwards like You know, it it was easier to be of the world instead of being in the world because at that time I was of the world. You know, I was of all the darkness and all the sin and all the crime and everything that you wasn't supposed to be. But now that I've switched and trying to do things a little bit different and better and just inside the law bracket, um, it's just as simple. You know, like what I want to do is what I'm going to do. So if I want to be bad, then hey, I can be bad. But if I want to be good, then I can be good. I've just never wanted to be good. So now that I'm figuring out how to be good, dude, it's not that hard at all. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a mindset. I think that's the hardest thing about it. Like, with the, with the whole drug addiction and this and that, like, something that I tell people a lot of times is, you know, it's like when you go to jail and you smoke cigarettes, like you smoke and been smoking for years and this and that, you go to jail, Suddenly that urge is gone like you don't You don't have to have that cigarette. You're not jonesing for a cigarette. You don't need that cigarette. Why? Because it's not there It's completely absent from where you are. There's the smells aren't there There's not somebody else there asking you if you need it or if you want it like you're not thinking about it watching other people smoke It's not your go-to thing when you're stressed out this and that because you know that it's It's just not there so with the battle and addiction thing, it's, it's the same basis because once you learn how to change your people, places, and things, well, that drug addict behavior, that mentality, those habits, everything that used to be wrapped up around it isn't there. And for me, like, once I learned that and once I understood that, it was so much easier to start and to continue doing what I'm doing right now because I finally realized that it wasn't the it wasn't the drug that was hard to get away from. It was the lifestyle. like That was what I was more addicted to than the alcohol and the drugs. It was the lifestyle because that was the only lifestyle that I knew. It was the only mentality that I had. And my mentality had drugs and alcohol intertwined in it. Like they were just one with each other, you know. And it took me moving away from my hometown, uh, coming to Memphis, uh, trying to do something a little bit different, you know. And that still didn't work at first. You know, I went to a Hope Center, and hey, by all means, the Hope Center is founded by some dudes that uh, really mean good. You know, they do, and and for a lot of people, they can do good. You know, um, it just wasn't my cup of tea. You know, what what is a Hope Center? So a Hope Center is a faith-based rehab. It's a year-long rehab center that, like, they're the structure of that just facility or, or rehab in general, however you want to phrase it, is centered around finding or rekindling your connection and relationship with God. It's, uh, now it is about getting you away from drugs and alcohol, but it's more about getting you closer to God, and the closer that you get to God, the further away from the worldly things that you get, like the drugs and alcohol and the criminal lifestyle. You know what I mean? And it does make sense, but um, it's not for everybody. Right. You know, like like I said earlier, I'm, I've am i got an authority problem. Like, I don't like being told or forced to do anything. And it still runs with me today. Like, I think that's just me in general. I think that's a lot of people in general. It's just whether you concede to it or not, you know. Yeah. But they pretty much force the Bible down your throat uh, and then tell you you're wrong when you don't start believing the how they want you to believe, or fast enough, or this or that. Like, believing in God or finding your religion in God is on a timeline, pretty much. Yeah, and
1: that's know. not how it works.
0: No, no, it, it, it's very much not. So, I ended up leaving. And what's crazy is I, I, when I left, you know, my family and stuff still didn't want me to move back home because, and oh, man, I was a terror. Like, right. really, like, I was on terms with my parents that if I came home, they were going to shoot me. Um, had the police call me and tell me and then called me and made sure that I talked to the cops so that I knew if I came home that they were going to shoot me and to let me hear that my stepmom had bought a pistol and was in the background shooting, target practicing. Like, they were very much going to kill me if I came home. Um, wow. Yeah, that went on for several years. And if you ever meet them, they'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. Like, like, it's, it was, it was real. Uh, I was very much not the person I am today. And even though that I smile and laugh and, and this and that, like I was telling somebody the other day, you'll never understand how much violence it took to be this peaceful. It's a whole different leaf or page of my story that I don't know I love because that's my past. Don't get me wrong it's it's integrated into who I am and why I am the way that I am, but it's also one of those things that's in the past, you know. Like I have to leave that type of mentality and lifestyle behind me, but it doesn't mean that it's not still with me. And that's so that's probably one of the biggest battles. Yeah. But anyway, back to the Hope Center thing. Um, and I left the Hope Center and was stranded here in Memphis. Actually, I was sitting in a McDonald's in Raleigh. Riley, Raleigh. Raleigh, Raleigh yeah. yeah. It's a town right around through here somewhere.
1: Yeah, it's just kind of North Memphis, yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. So I was in a McDonald's there, and one of the guys that had already graduated the Hope Center text me and was like, hey man, I heard that uh, you left, like, what's up? I was like, yeah, man, you know, they wouldn't let me back in. Uh, I don't know where to go, like, I can't go back home right now. Uh, whoopty this and whoopty that. So he come and picked me up and he was living in a house that was set up kind of like an Oxford house almost. Uh, different rooms for different people. There was five different guys living in there and they were all Hope Center graduates. It all went through the year long program and, to the outside world was looking like they were fixed. Like, hey, they found God and yeah, all their problems just went away. Everything is so good and perfect now, but it wasn't like I showed up that night and they were all drunk and high and throwing a party and doing this and doing that. So I walked in and immediately it was right back where I used to be. It's was like, well, cool. Like, what do y'all want to do now? yeah this is comfortable let's do yeah, it yeah like exactly you couldn't have said a better word comfortable you know um so i ended up getting one of them to give me a ride i went and picked up two ounces of dope I come back got everybody high and started sending people out in different directions on how to make money and how to stay silent about it and what to do what not to do and this and that and that it like i said man it picked right back up Uh, so six seven eight months ago something like that uh, i was arrested for aggravated robbery aggravated burglary possession of a weapon or an unlawful weapon possession intent to resell vandalism trespassing uh, a slew of different charges was looking at anywhere from 15 to 30 years in the federal penitentiary Uh, some reason i don't I don't even know why to this day, because I haven't run back into her long enough to where I could talk to her, but the lawyer that was representing me was like shaking her head like when she asked, so if I get you into a program, you're willing to accept the rules and regulations and everything and and do the program, like shaking her head very obviously like trying to tell me without saying, like say yes. So I did. And two or three days later, they come and got me and switched my case over to the drug court staff. I went in there and met Judge Wilson, uh, Miss Carletta, uh, the other people and the other staff, Angela and everybody. Uh, and they gave me an opportunity that at the time I did not know was gonna change my life the way that it has or it has allowed but uh, very much so did. You know they put me on drug court. Uh, that was the... Uh, let me say this for them. They treated me like a human, like, hey, coming from my background and the way that I've lived, dude, that's a, it's a life-changing thing. Like, you don't get treated like a normal person that's just made a mistake when I get caught up in doing what I'm doing, because most of the time it's not normal activities and, hey, like, in all aspects, I probably should have been shunned and sent to the pen and forgotten, you know, by my actions. Now, by my heart and my intentions, hey, I, and, and I really think that's what they play off of, is look, dude, it's not the mistakes that we make in life. It's how we recover from the mistakes made. If You can learn from it and not ever go back through that. Why well, condemn somebody for it? You know, let them grow. Hey, that's what they do. You know, like, they, they just treated me like I was human. Yeah, it was the first group of people that were in a position to be able to help me that asked me what was wrong. You know, I was in a Hope Center for seven, eight, nine months, and nobody ever asked me, like, what's wrong with you? Like, how can I help you? What's going on with you? Yeah. And that's what I told the judge, exactly what I'm telling you. It's like, listen, bro, I don't know. I don't know any different. If there's a better way, then hey, please show me. I'll grab it and I'll run with it. Because, hey, you let me go. And the first thing I'm going to do is get hungry. So I'm going to either rob somebody or kick somebody's door so that I can eat that night. And then I'm going to end up in the wrong crowd of people. They're going to be hungry. They're going to need money. So I'm going to have to show them how to do stuff, which grows that little organization in this and that, which gets views and attention from bigger organizations like the cartel. And before you know it, I'm kicking doors for the cartel. And have four or five, six different people running around doing things for me, getting rid of what I'm finding and this and that, and setting up meetings with other people behind the scenes and criminology. you know, I yeah. you know, I was very upfront and very honest with the judge. I yeah. told him like, I don't know anything any other way, man. You know, like if you're willing to show me something, hey, show me. Mm-hmm. And that's what I need. But right. and. Lo and behold, the man didn't laugh. He didn't shake his head or anything. He was like, "Well, that's what we're here for, and that's what we're gonna do." Welcome to Drug Court, Mister Sneak. Right. Dude, my life's been different drastically ever since. You know, I went to Serenity. Um, I'm not gonna say that I liked it. You know, I was still at the stages of learning that I wasn't being forced; that I was being allowed. You know, and that wasn't something that just come naturally. To be able to understand that, you know, like I don't have to do this. Dude, I get to. There's a big difference there. Well, the big difference is willingness. You know, I'm willing to because I get to, you know. Now, of course, there is that whole cloud hanging above me that, hey, you know, if you don't, then off to the federal pen for you forever. But Yeah,
1: you know, a consequence here and there might not be a bad thing.
0: No, not by any means. But the structure of how they run their program and this and that really helps. You know, like they they don't just stay on top of you because they want you to learn it for yourself. And they want you to learn and to grow into a better human being in general. And they allow you to. But, yeah, you step out of bounds. And they're there kind of like the bumpers at a bowling alley. You know, they're there to stop you from messing up and, and screwing your life completely up. But they do want you to get the hang of it yourself.
1: All right, so tell us about the structure of drug court and kind of, you know, how drug court works, what they expect of you, that kind of deal.
0: Okay, so the way that they were with me is, you know, like you sit down and you read their rules and the regulations, but, you know, I've never been to somebody that really just read rules and regulations. I kind of just figure things out as I go. Um, that's how I learned. Um, drug court is a program that helps you get back on your feet and a lot better manner of life in general, inside the laws and everything of society pretty much. Um, So they start you off by sending you to a residential treatment center for 28, 30 days, however long that it takes you to actually sit down and be okay with the idea that this is what you're doing and that this is the general direction that you need to be headed in, you know. And once you get out of your residential treatment center, they send you to a halfway house like Rebo's. Um and you know there's IOP groups that you have to attend to at these treatment centers, like outpatient therapy center sessions. You know you go in, you talk to a counselor for an hour or so, uh, usually in a group. You know you're usually not by yourself. You can be that options there. You know you can have one-on-ones. Um, they actually do have one-on-ones. Um, or one-on-ones, I said one-on-one, but One. I think it's the same thing. Okay. Yeah, It sounds the same anyway. Yeah. Um, and then you have to attend AA groups. You know, you have to do a certain amount of groups every week and get a sheet signed, you know, confirming that you've been there and not just kind of lollygagging through the process and not doing it. Uh, and pretty much that's, uh, that's structural like structurally that's about it you know uh, not trying to take away from the actual depth of the program and, and how much they really do help you you know so they put an app on my phone called reconnect to where they can keep track of me or you know they can talk to me when they need to or they can send me letters that have to do with the drug court staff or this or that whenever they want to uh, they can do video calls and they'll call and check with you but they do they have sign you a, an actual caseworker that that's who you deal with personally you know throughout all of it so that you're not just taking up time pretty much from everybody because there's a lot of people on drug court i did not know that you know drug court wasn't something that i even knew was a thing like you know yeah i got caught with drugs but drug court like it doesn't sound like what it is you know when you think of drug court you think of well it's gonna be drug dealers and drug addicts and this and that and Yeah, it's going to be down that avenue, which I mean, hey, by all means it is, you know, you can't get on drug court without drug charges, but they help you live your life and and help show you and guide you and like walk you through the processes of learning how to live the right way, you you know, now they do have the whole, they work for the courts thing holding above you. So if you don't go to these IOPs or you don't go to your classes and you don't go to your meetings and this and that, hey, they will lock your ass up, like, you know, empty your pockets, sit behind the board or the wall back here and uh, we'll deal with you when we get to you, you know, type stuff. But uh, they don't want to see you go to jail. They don't want to see you in trouble. They want to see you grow. They want to see you do better. And you can tell that because like the first time I went to court, the judge was sitting there, holding a piece of paper, and laid the paper down, and started calling people up by their names. I mean, he wasn't looking at cards; like he was calling people by their name. Like, how astonishing is that? Like, you're sitting in a room with fifty people, and the judge is calling them out by name, just like, "Hey, Henry. Hey, Bob. Hey, Jessica. You know, yeah. Come on up here, let me talk to you." It's and, very impactful. Oh, it it very much was that. That opened my eyes to. Yeah, maybe this is. Maybe this is where I needed to be, you know, like people that don't care, don't know that much about you. You know, they shun you and write you off and then they're pretty much done with you. And every conversation after that is hurry up, hurry up, hurry up kind of, and just to get you away. None of them are like that. None of them. They all care. They all want to know how you're doing. They all ask you, you don't have the chance to ask them because they're walking up and you're like, Hey, Josh, how are you doing today? Where are you at mentally? You know, you're stressed out, like, what's going on? Talk to me. If you don't need to talk, that's fine. You know, we're here whenever you need us. And the judge is the same way. Like, he don't sit up in his chair in his, whatever the coat is that he sits in and slapping that hammer around. Like, no, he's down there walking around with us, talking to us, you know, giving us fist bumps, laughing and cutting up, asking how our kids are, remembering our kids' names. Wow. You know, like. It's, uh, and it's awesome. It really is, you know? Yeah. But, and and that's what drug court is. Um, They end up sending you, you, like I said, when you get out of residential, they'll send you to a halfway house or someplace like Judicare to where they can better monitor you and not just let you out into society and go back into what you were doing and this and that because they understand, hey, man, you didn't get here overnight. You're not going to get out of here overnight. So, you know. Everything that you were doing, you were screwing up. Like, let us guide you and let us walk you down this road until you can, until you grow enough to where we can let you go.
1: Yeah.
0: You know? uh, And that's where I ran into Jess and Ben Owens. Like, they put me in their house, the Rebo's house. Uh, I didn't really know how significant of a piece of my life that they were gonna be the first couple of times I seen them or met them, you know? Like, I mean, I'd heard the hype of how cool they were and how good of people they were and what all they were doing and this and that, you know? Uh, I was trying to find me a job. Well, I seen that every morning there was a couple of guys there that were sitting on the porch and would leave and go to work. You know, I've done construction, not very much, but you know, my dad, I grew up doing concrete. He owned his own construction crew and this and that. So like I know the basics, you know, I can swing a hammer either way. I can put a nail on a piece of wood. So I jumped on that and wouldn't leave him alone about it. I got to sit out there and drink coffee with him in the mornings and this and that. And I asked Bubba, the manager, if I could join the crew. And He was like, well, I have to check with Ben and Jess and this and that. I don't know, I'm I'm an impatient type person when it comes to getting stuff done. Um, so the first time I seen Ben walk up, I was like, hey, so you're the person I need to talk to. Hey, they're fixing to go to work, and I need a job. Uh, y'all are about to start paying me rent, or y'all are about to start having me pay y'all rent, and this and that. Um, how am I going to do all of this and all of that without a job? But I guarantee you, let me go out there with them. Uh, I'll work. I don't, I don't mind working. Like,
1: yeah,
0: It's part of it, right? right. Hey, dude, without hesitation, he was like, hell yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, you want to go to work? Hey, Bubba, put him in the truck. Let him go. Uh, (laughs) and that's how this journey started off you know it was just nonchalant calm cool collective like
1: uh what were y'all working on
0: so we're working out on 1186 melrose um well there's two houses out there i think one of them is 1192 yeah i didn't i didn't know if um i didn't know where on the timeline we were so so yeah when i come in they were still tearing down the inside of 1192 Okay. the house fits halfway down yeah like all the walls were still up and this and that and the floors were still in it somewhat and yeah we so were I cleaning must, all that out i messed i must have met you pretty
1: close to that point yeah okay. yeah it was it was before we got it all tore out yeah so I mean, yeah, it was, I was still there, a mess it still had some roof and i got some you know wood almost dropped on me and stuff like that but yeah uh, yeah <laughs> so like we all did i was there the day that jeff busted her eye open yeah, I was oh, there too. We have oh, no. done some videos. Yeah, And uh
0: It's the first time I ever realized that I was afraid of Jess. Yeah, she
1: as she's bleeding, busted I oh, eye, she's smiling. Yeah, laughing not, like, not deterred. And you're at like, I'm like, not getting on her bad side. No, not at all. <laughs> Bro,
0: I was picking up a piece of wood and turning to walk out of this house to throw it out into the dumpster I look, and she's not only bleeding and laughing, but halfway through a floor. Like she fell <laughs> through the floor and got her eye her, like gushing blood down the side of her mm-hmm. face, and she's just like, <laughs> like "Oh shit!" <laughs> I can continue out the door with my piece of wood, come back in. I'm like, "You all right?" She's like, "Yeah, I'm fine." <laughs> that yeah, was, good. that was pretty cool. Oh, um, no yeah, lot. but yeah, man, and you know, it, it hasn't slowed down. It hasn't stopped since that moment. Like. Once again, I'm around people that are compassionate. They care. Like, like, dude, this is a whole new world, you know? Like, I've been surrounded by people that didn't care. And the people that did care, I wasn't somebody that you cared about, you know? Because I wasn't gonna do anything but abuse your feelings and use you to better me. I didn't care if it hurt you or not, or took away from you, but here I am. And Ben and Jazz care in such a such a way that words don't really do it in justice. It's something that you, you would almost have to see. It's like a
1: something that you feel. It's it's yep. and it's not I, I know where you're going. It's not describable. No. no. It, it it's not describable, it's relatable. Hmm. You know, they
0: relate to you. Like they've been where I was. They've been where we've all been and know what it's like. And they don't talk about it they don't bring things up they don't bring the past up they don't try to show you that they know how you're feeling or the positions that you're in they treat you accordingly like they know where you are so they treat you like you are where you are and give you opportunities and open little doors here and there without even saying or bringing that to attention to allow you to grow uh before you know it hey, dude, six, seven, eight months later like you're a complete different person and you can look back and see, damn, like y'all read me that good and knew that this is what I needed here and that I didn't need this quite yet, but I needed this in in place of it so that I could build to this and when you get to this point they open that door and allow you to grow even more you know and they're still doing it like. It's crazy how they can read people and read somebody's situation and their emotions and just their stress levels like they were born for this. No, no doubt. You know, they they really were. They didn't know it. They didn't know it 10 years ago, but no, they are. I mean, they're
1: watching them do their work is awesome.
0: Oh, yeah. dude, It's life changing. Yeah. Like so eight months ago, I was kicking a door for the cartel. Yesterday, I was telling an advocate for human trafficking and and a representative of the UN and this and that that we care about the people that we help the way that we do because if we fail, they die. Like that's That's how much your life can change when the right people walk in and give you the right opportunities at the right time. And you can't walk into somebody's life and give them the right opportunity at the right time. If you haven't lived that life, you don't know it. You know, it's like sitting down in front of a, let's say, a psychologist that, no offense to any psychologist, but sits behind their nice walnut desk and in their nice tailored suit and goes home to a $300,000 house and drives a BMW. You know, like, you're not going to take somebody like me off the streets and sit me in front of somebody like that and them be able to explain to me why I am the way that I am. Like, you've never been hungry. You've never just been ready to kill because you wanted somebody to want you. You know, you can't tell me the struggles of life. Like, you have a house. I don't. You can buy your food. I can't. Like, you've got family that calls you and checks on you. I don't. Like, you you can't possibly know where I'm at. Therefore, it, it stops that whole conversation and the growth is stunted
1: right there. Yeah, you definitely need somebody who's been through at least a similar situation for this kind of work. Right. Um, I can't sit here and help you. I've not done this, but I can, you know, I do what I, my capacity to helping is sharing, right? I share your stories and.
0: Well, that, but see, like you, like, okay, so how do I explain this? And people in your position have more to offer us than what you know, because, hey, at the end of the day, It's lifestyles like yours that we're trying to get to. You don't have an addiction problem. You don't have housing problems. You don't have family issues. If if you do, they're not as deep Uh as somebody with addiction problems because it's just the problems that come with it. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, we're trying to get to a life like yours because yours is what's called normal. Like, you know, I wouldn't know what that is. You know, I'm starting to figure it out. I got a roof above my head. You know, I got a vehicle that I can drive. I don't have a license yet, but I'm working on that. I went to get it the other day, and you know what they told me? Oh, man. I got to the place. They sent me a text, told me to go to counter 10. I stood at counter 10 for like 20 minutes. They walked up and was like, who are you? What are you doing? I was like, oh. Uh, I'm
1: using your. Oh, yeah, man. y'all
0: texted me to come to this counter, and they were like, check the real systems. And it's like, oh, you're at the wrong place. You're supposed to be at Summer. I was on Air- Airways, I think. Yeah, was- I don't know about
1: that one, but.
0: So I was I wasn't at the right place. place, No. So I'm gonna go next week and get it. But you know, like my life is coming together and being a lot better because people that can relate are out here trying to change people instead of just pointing them in a direction. Like Benny Jess won't do that. They're not gonna be like, Oh well, you have a drug addiction, you need to go to rehab and then go on to the next person.
1: No, it's like, whoa, why do you have your drug addiction? Yeah, and I think a lot of it has with them. I think a lot of it with them is like they can tell when somebody's ready. Yeah, to accept the hand. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's a big thing because like you can't just slap somebody in. Uh, you know you can't just slap somebody in rehab that doesn't want to be there. No, and we've seen that. So yeah, no, you can't. You
0: know, and it's it's a growing pandemic. You know, which I mean, the world knows that there's a there is a a very big drug issue going on, and with this fentanyl stuff, it's it's not any longer becoming an addiction problem. They're not staying alive long enough to have addiction problems. They're dying. It's killing people. Left and yes, very much so. And that's why I was telling Lady T the other day, like we care and we try and have the compassion that we do, because who knows, man? If we fail helping this person, that person's liable to die that day. Like, this might be the last conversation that they have with somebody that actually cares, you know? And, dude, that's not something that any of us are willing to just walk away from, you know? It's not. Now, being able to beat this addiction and being able to beat this problem and fix it, oh, dude, we're we're a long ways away from having this issue solved. But, dude, we're making some pretty good headway here. And it's all due and thanks to just an idea that Ben and Jess came up with and started running with because they love people and they want people. Like, something that I tell people when they ask me who they are is they are people that show up always with open arms and never with open hands. Never. Like, I don't think they've ever asked me to give anything back. They've never asked me to do anything other than be the best version of myself that I can be. Where are people like that from? I don't know. The trenches. People like that come from the trenches and have made it out because they know what it takes and they know how to lead other people out, you know? Wow. that's very much so my purpose. Like, through those two, I found my purpose. And now I'm starting to have value added to my life. Like, what more could you ask for from somebody, you know? Like, I'm wholeheartedly in this mission. Like, not going to walk away. You know, I'd be stupid to walk away. Not only is it helping my life and helping my career and, and helping me build a career I see a difference like they're really helping people like I said like they've helped me substantially like yeah dude I was a criminal eight months ago today I can call most of the treatment centers around here and talk to the doctors of the treatment centers on first-name basis and be like hey I got somebody I need to rush over there and get in right now like is there a bed or do I have to go through the process and they're like no you don't have to go through the process you bring them on Josh and they let me walk through the front doors with them. Like, I'm not trying to like boast or, or brag or anything there because
1: I hate that I have to do that for people. Of course. But I love that I can. No, and it's not... A, even if it is a brag, which I don't... That's not how you come off, but it's, at least from my standpoint, it's incredible that, you know, you've been in the program seven months and you're here with doctors on speed dial and you know, putting people in and it's just, it's been an amazing change. Yeah, man, it has, you know, and and honestly,
0: dude, all I'm doing different is applying my abilities and my eagerness in a different manner, you know, And, and that might sound more complex than what it is, but it's not, I'm taking the same, I've even said this before, like I'm taking the same amount of energy and want that I was using to be a criminal and to feed myself and to feed my drug habit, and applying it to trying to help everybody else out in the streets. Like, I always wished that when I was out there in the streets that somebody would walk up like being a Jets. Somebody, it didn't matter who it was. It didn't have to be them, just anybody. Walk up and be like, hey, you need some help, bro. Man, yeah. why are you doing this? Why, why are you living this way? What's caused you? to want to live this way or to just continue. And then nobody ever showed up. Didn't matter how much I wanted it, Dreamed for it, prayed for it, didn't matter. It didn't happen. Um, Now I get that opportunity. And by all means, that's the first thing I'm doing in the mornings. I'm checking on people texting them. I'm calling the rehab and checking on the people that I've put in there or allowed to go in there, you know, seeing if they need something. Because... You show up for somebody, uh, that means more than anybody could ever say. You can say what you want to, you know. It doesn't mean that it's true. You can tell me anything that you want, but your actions, it'll prove who you are. To have somebody show up can change somebody's life. It has changed mine. So I speak from experience on that. Now that I have that opportunity to just show up, dude,
1: I'm going to show up. So, speak a little bit about your relationship with your family and, you know, how it, of course, went down, as you mentioned earlier, and how you kind of regained that trust if you have. So, my family
0: is different. We were always that rough and rugged fighting family like that you know people knew around my hometown like hey man you don't mess with the sneeds like you just you just don't do that you know like it's kind of stupid too like if i can't get you then my cousin can if he can't their cousin can't you know like our whole family was that way just country but rough and rugged um uh, there's alcohol alcoholics and addicts and everything running through it you know Um, we're not really just any, any different than any other family, uh, except for me and my sister. Um, we were like the black chiefs of the family. My sister is an absolute crazy person, um, very problematic children, uh, you know, you could say that we grew up in a poor household. didn't really have much growing up, and what we didn't have, burnt, our house burnt a few times. Uh, we lost everything. Uh, went through some abuse problems. Um, you know, so I guess my past is, uh, with my family, could have been a lot better than what it turned out to be. But, you know, everybody makes mistakes, man. Uh, and you can't get things right the first time. It, like I said earlier, it's, it's trial and error. You know, my parents are great people now. Uh, they both turned their lives completely around. They're, they're not who they used to be. I mean, and I'm not trying to say that they used to be anything bad. But, you know, maybe in certain areas, in certain aspects, they could have altered the way that they were. Uh, and changed a little bit, you know? But I'm a firm believer that, you know, my past don't own me, I own my past. Uh, As long as I look in the past at my parents and their mistakes and and where they were too hard or abusive or or judgmental or any of this, then it's just taken away from our future, you know? Mm -hmm. So I tend to like to leave the past in the past And learn from it. You know, like I said, I own my past. My past don't own me anymore. Uh, And use it as a tool to better other people. Like, I can see things from my past and the way that my family was. Like, I can see certain situations for what they are, and you don't have to tell me. You don't have to say it. Like, we don't even have to talk about it. I can just read it on you, you know? Like, but my family... uh. They were a good family. Loving, hating, hard, soft, compassionate. And then, yeah, they had me. Uh, and my family was the main people in my life that were trying to tell me to do this or to do that, you know, so they were the main people that I rebelled against. Uh, I didn't really let them be a mom or a dad. I ran away when I was younger and just stayed gone. Uh, You know, for a long time, I used to say that they didn't come try to find me. But even if they did, which I don't know, they wouldn't have. So it's, it's almost wrong for me to continue to say that because I don't know if they came and looked for me or not. I just know they didn't find me. But every day I was out making sure that they didn't find me. So I feel like Damn, I've never realized that until now. I feel like they could have been a lot better parents and we could have been a lot better of a family if I wouldn't have been the way that I was because that's how I was, man. Uh, You pissed me off. Fine, That's cool. I'm not going to forget it. I'm going to make your life hell. Everything you tell me to do, I'm not going to do it. Everything that you think you can do, I'm going to work hard to make sure that you don't. Like, I was a very conniving and just mentally disturbed kid growing up anyway, you know? Like, I was. Um,
1: Well, so how's your relationship with your parents now?
0: It's getting better. It is getting better. Like, I I talk to my mother uh, on a daily basis. We text. Sometimes I'll call. Sometimes she'll call. Um, she's come down here and seen me, so I've, I've laid eyes on her, um, it's the first time I've done that in years. Uh, my dad, um, my dad always tried to be there, maybe he didn't know how to be, but he always tried to be there, and he was always that dad that it didn't matter what I did, it was like, well, it's, it's okay, son, you can come back, you know, and, um, I just stopped that from happening, you know. Uh, And here lately, it's been a little different, I'm not gonna lie, like, I can tell, like, you know, if if I didn't change now, like, he was done, you know, Uh, and I'm not sure that he wasn't just done already, you know, which it's understandable, you know, like, right now they have my son. uh, like, that, that's not their role. That's not their place to have to take care of my son. Now, yeah, I send, I send money home every week and make sure that he has everything that he needs because, hey, if I can't be there with him right this moment because I'm on drug court, then they shouldn't have to come out of pocket for anything for him, you know? So, a lot of my check goes to that, you know? Like, he's mine. Uh, it's nobody else's role to take care of him other than mine. But I will say... In our relationship's getting better i can call them and they'll pick up the phone um, they're not threatening to shoot me anymore so <laughs> hey that's a positive that's a plus <laughs> you know it was crazy how that happened too. because like two weeks after that like they called me and had the police call me and stuff it was, well it might have been a little longer than two weeks but right after that they called and was like hey so you know christmas is right around the corner Uh what do you want for Christmas? Well, a bulletproof vest? <laughs> what do you mean what I want? You know. We still laugh about that. Preferably today. to not get shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we still laugh about that today. So, I mean, it, it's getting better. Yeah. You know? Um, it's okay. just getting better, man. Right? Like, it's it's a long time and, and a lot of history there of, of just negativity and oh, things not going yeah. the right way. So, it's going to take a while, but we're on talking terms. Hey, they'll tell awesome. me they love me. Wow. So, you know, yeah. like my dad told me he was proud of me the other day. Whoa. Like, yeah. They brought tears to my eyes. Like, I, I don't, bet. I can't remember last yeah. time. You know, I even text Ben and was like, look, dude, look, I screenshotted it and showed him. was <laughs> damn, he told me he was
1: proud of me. You know? Like, yeah. yeah. Well, he's got good reason to be proud of you now. That's for sure. So, um, uh, to the outside world, to me, uh, you seem very happy all the time. Yeah. Is it, are you really always happy?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I am, man. Because, dude, I lived in the darkness for so long and was so angry at everything God, the world, people in general, myself. That's what it came down to was I was just angry at myself. You know, and being angry at myself and not knowing what my true identity was confused me. And I don't like being confused, you know. So, I was just angry all the time for nothing. Like, I would wake up and gang bang on breakfast. Like, <laughs> fuck you back in. Like, you know, just I was just angry all the time, man. And yeah. today, I don't have anything to be angry about. I, I, I really don't. Like, life is good today. You know, like, I'm me. And I'm okay with that. Like, you know, I strive to be able to look in a mirror for a long time because I just couldn't, you know, brushing your teeth or whatever you were doing in front of a mirror. Like, well, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror because I was disgusted. I hated who I was. And uh you ever had that feeling in, the, in the, like, your gut or in the back of your head? Like, if you look at yourself in a mirror that, you know you're not supposed to be this person or you're you're not who is looking back at you like something should be different but you don't know how to get it and it just disgusts you it makes you look out it makes you look away and you cannot look at yourself in the mirror And today i can look at myself in the mirror and i'm okay with who i see like i'm starting to figure out that the further I go, dude, I I might mess around and be an IRA dude. Like, and just that alone, not to mention all kinds of other reasons. Like, that alone makes me happy. You know? I I have purpose. I'm not a lost cause. You know what I mean? Like, today, my son goes to school and brags about who I am. That's amazing. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. You know, it showed me that we can be the change that we want to see. And that's all we have to do is just be that change. You know, don't talk about it. Don't bring it up in conversation. conversations about the changes that you want to see are good. Don't get me wrong. You know, brainstorm ideas. But let's not leave it at that. Like, let's not talk about the change that we want to see. Hey, let's go be the change that we want to see. And then let's talk about the end results how good they were right. it's working what do you what do you think would help you the most at this stage um so i don't know how to answer that eric okay. i don't because like i was telling you i've never been in this stage in life this is all brand new i i, I don't know what would help yeah Not until it happens, or not until the idea comes up. Like I'm literally taking this one step by step, one day by day. Uh, Like my sponsor told me not long ago to make a goal list. Wow, that was good. My next question. You know, like a goal list, like things that are easily obtained that you know I can work towards, and this and that. But how do I do that? Because Dude, everything that I could possibly plan or wish for right now, as in terms of goals, better stuff is already happening.
1: Life. Yeah, so you're saying like, what life is actually giving you is kind of like outside of what you could even expect or... Very much so. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. The, The group of
0: friends that I have now the group of brothers that I have now, the people that I can, that I can pick my phone up and call people and they'll come. I can call people. Be like, hey bro, I'm stuck on the side of the road. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know how I'm going to get back home. Like, there's several people in that phone that's going to come get me. That would have been one of my goals. You know, I put something on Facebook the other day. Like, I don't have to be well known, just worth knowing. Like, People respond to it and tell me that I am worth knowing. That would been one of my goals. I, I'm not materialistic. Like, I, I don't care about material things because I know they don't last. Like like I said, back when I was a child, our house burnt to the ground twice. I haven't been attached to material things since. And I, I probably never will be. I don't, I don't care what I have. It's it's what I hold, like, in my heart. Like, like my identity and my trust and my loyalty. Those are the things that matter to me. Like, yeah, dude, like, I don't know how to set goals right now. And I I don't know how to get that answer because I, I really just don't know. Now I'm trying to figure it out, you know? Right. But at the same time, I'm just letting things play out and see where it goes because, dude, that's working, you know? So to better myself, Better the crowd around me.
1: Yeah. What would you tell somebody who is currently struggling with an active addiction?
0: Don't let the fact that you're ashamed to be ashamed keep you from finding your sobriety. Just don't let your addiction steer you in the same direction that you're going because you're you're too scared to say that you need help. Like, we all need help. I've been there. I still need help, you know? I'm gonna be an addict the rest of my life. It's not something that I just stepped out of and and I'm cured, you know? But there is a better way. Ultimately, you know, we're addicts because we wanna be. It boils down to that, but we don't have to be. We can choose a better way you just got to, um, you have to change your people, places, and things, man.
1: Yeah, and so you mentioned people, places, and things earlier. Uh, just give me a quick rundown, kind of what that what that means to you. When you say that, what, what do you mean? So what I mean by that is
0: when I was caught up in the streets and living in my uh, just addictive lifestyle, nobody I was around, was trying to do better. Even if they did do better and wasn't such an addict or, or did this or did that, it was surrounded in everything that we knew, and everything that we do, and everything that we are. Right. It's kind of back to that. And this is why I say that I like to say this statement about the cigarettes in jail. Right. When you go to jail and you smoke, you don't want to smoke while you're in jail because it's not there. You have taken yourself out of your bubble and put yourself somewhere new around new people, around new things, and around new places. And that addict lifestyle and mentality isn't with you on that cigarette. But when you get out of jail, the first thing you do is you go to the store and you buy a cigarette. Why? Because it's normalcy. It's what's normal to you. You go right back into your addictive lifestyle, whether you know it or whether you don't whether you're still trying to change it or whether you ain't. If you couldn't change it then you can't change it now. And that mindset it stunts your growth. You have to change your people places and things. For me, I had to move completely away from my hometown. everybody that I knew create new friendships, new relationships. and that it worked. It worked I'd say so, yeah I, I contested and argued that fact for years. And now I'm just having to swallow my pride and accept that I was wrong, and that, dude, you change your people, places, and things, and change comes. It's harder to get away from the lifestyle than it is to add or the actual drug addiction.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what would you say to someone that's never struggled with an addiction about how to see people? who
0: are struggling with an addiction. So to just jump deep in that right off the rip, um, if you want somebody's past to be their past and them to be able to move to the future, don't allow the past to be the first thing mentioned. You know, understand they have a problem. Uh, Addiction is a disease that takes over your mind, body, and soul. Like it, it infiltrates itself into you and your being. In general so not only is that person addictive their lifestyles addictive everything that they know is addictive there are people out here that don't have addiction problems and and I do get that I understand that they don't know what it's like to have to depend on a drug or to feel like you have to depend on a drug like so you don't have an addiction problem, but you have to depend on your paycheck to pay your bills, just like that addict has to depend on their drug to allow them to be able to just make it through the day. It's it's one of those things that you can't live without, you know. It it's not really the addiction, it's it's the person, it's who they are. And until you can go about looking and viewing that situation like they're not a lost cause or they're not just some junkie, like this is who they are, you're not going to be able to address that problem in a a proper manner because you're going to look at it like, well, why don't you just quit? Well, quit paying your bills, you know? See if the electric company will pay your bill for you. It's, It's the same principle with an addict. Like You can't tell an addict just... I will just quit. It's that easy. Well, a lot of the stuff that people are on will kill them if they do that. And the DT's from it, it shuts your organs down. It, it will literally kill you. So it's not just as simple as just quit. And then it's infiltrated into their life. Like it's, it's their daily routine. You know, it's everything about them. I, I guess that's the best way to say that. It's... It's their being. It's who they are. Right. That's why I'm so such a big advocate about people, places, and things, you know. You, you change your people, places, and things and that puts you around new people. It allows new doors to open up and new habits and new hobbies and, and new things to do and this and that. And that opens the door for you to be able to work on your addiction. Because you're not just going to change your addiction. It don't work like that. It's a process that you have to work at and gradually work at.
1: You know? So thanks for joining us on our first podcast of Fighting Monsters uh, brought to you by We Fight Monsters. Uh, Stay tuned for some new people and episodes coming soon. You won't want to miss those. All right. Um, I need to quickly. You're off the hook. I need to quickly yeah. re record that intro. It was like way too loud. Right, blah, 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 blah. Welcome to.